Revelation 3. And the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have an appearance of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we ask you to speak to us today. Speak to our hearts, God. We, we want our church to be alive. God, we want the people inside of it to be spiritually alive. Father, we want to see the signs coming, Lord, if we begin to, to decline, to decay, to die. Father, help us. Give us your power. In Jesus' name, amen. In each one of these churches thus far, Jesus has, has begun the letter by giving them the things they're doing well and then progressing toward the things that they're not doing well. This is a sad church because Jesus has no words of commendation for this church. Now, can, can you imagine if Jesus has nothing good to say about your church, okay? Nothing good to say about your spiritual life, about, uh, about how you're thriving or how you're, how you're moving ahead. You know, even these churches, Pergamum and Thyatira, they had really big problems. You know, sexual morality and, and false teaching and, and people going astray. Even they had lots to commend and lots for Jesus to say, hey, I know you're doing this and you're, 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 you're being commended here and you're doing well here. But to this church, there is nothing good that Jesus has to say. But rather, he says, you have a reputation for life, but in reality, you're dead. It's a dead church. Now, you might think that Jesus would go ahead right away and call it, you know. Well, the church is dead. You know, it, it's dead, it's gone, it's, it's over, you know, time of death, church closed, case closed. But remember who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus has some particular gifts in the areas of life and death. Did you know that? I was reading in, in Luke chapter 7. I had, had some guys at McDonald's this week, Tuesday morning, and we're reading through Luke chapter 7. And, and man, did, does the Bible ever jar you? Do you ever, do you ever read things and it's just like, wow, you know? And we're reading through Luke 7, and it's just this very, very simple story about Jesus walking into a city called Nain, and he comes into the city, and there's a funeral pro pro progression, procession. You know, you, you've been there, right? You're, you're driving along, and here comes the hearse, and so you pull over over and you take your hat off and so I imagine that happened and here comes this funeral procession and it's a widow and she's lost her only son and Jesus says well wait 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 stop guys he stops the funeral procession he puts his hand on the casket and he tells the young man to get up and he gets up I mean that's pretty remarkable isn't it you know have you ever seen that you ever, I, I've not seen I've done a lot of funerals over a hundred never seen that one okay Jesus has the power of life and death all right so as he talks to this church that is dead, there is hope. And the hope comes, first of all, in how Jesus reveals himself. So in each one of these letters to the churches, the thing that Jesus does first is he reveals who he is. 
Okay? So he says, to the, to, the, to the church of Ephesus, here's who I am. To the church of Pergamum, here's who I am. To the church at Thyatira, here's who I am. And he gives a different, different facet of his, his person. Okay? So how, what does he reveal to a church that's dead? Well, listen, verse 1. The angel of the church at Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. All right, so he reveals, first of all, to this dead church, hey, church, I have the spirit of God. Now, now, don't get hung up on the seven spirits of God. You're thinking, oh, who are the seven? I thought there was one, you know. There's one Holy Spirit, okay? In the book of Revelation, it's, it's an apocalyptic book. It's different. Don't read Revelation like you read Matthew or John or, or, or Philippians or 2 Corinthians or Exodus, okay? You have to remember this is a symbolic book. The, the, the number seven is a symbolic number. And basically what it means is completeness, finishedness. All, all sufficiency. And so what Jesus is saying is, I have the Holy Spirit who is everything you need. Man, that's encouraging today, isn't it? You came here with problems. You came here with challenges. You know what Jesus is revealing to you right away? No matter how bad your situation, no matter how dead whatever you're dealing with is, Jesus is saying, I have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God brings life. John 6.63 says, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Church, we got to remember this. There is no spiritual progress without the Holy Spirit. Nothing, nothing of spiritual value ever happens. No spiritual transformation ever occurs without the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so the salvation of souls, the disciple-making of the saints, the transformation of lives, all of that really has fundamentally nothing to do with buildings and sermons and lessons and bulletins and programs and classes. And it has everything to do with the power of the Spirit of God working through the Word and through people and through all of those things. So here, Jesus reminds us, reminds a dead church that He has the Spirit of God. Now, I want to divide this into three categories for you. This is actually, I think this is the hardest letter of the seven to interpret. And so hopefully this will help you. So three categories of people or, or things that Jesus is addressing in the church of Sardis. Number one, he's addressing Christians who are that in name only. Okay? So notice he says in verse, in verse one, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Okay, so you have a name that you're alive. People think that you're alive. You present yourself as spiritual, but you're dead. Okay, so the first category is those who have a reputation for being alive, but are dead. Second category would be what I would call spiritual sleepers. Okay, these are people who sleep during the sermon. No, not really. No, that's not what they are. You can apply it to that if you want, but that's, that's not really what the text is on. These are people who need to wake up. They're believers, but they're not paying attention. They're, they're declining. Their work is not being done. Their lives are not being effective for the gospel. And then number three, we're going to call these folks the unsoiled few. Okay, These are the, the ones at the end where Jesus says, you have a few. You have a few who are living for Christ. You have a few who are about their mission. You have a few who, who, are, who are doing this right. Okay, So those three groups of people are, are the three we're going to talk about. First group, just briefly. Those who are, who, are, who are Christians in name only, okay? So again, verse 1, I know your, your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You know, one of the things you have to realize right away is that reputation is not always reality, right? What, what people think of you, what, how you present yourself, what you say about yourself is not always reality. 
Yeah, it's really easy to say I'm a Christian. It's really easy for people to think you're a Christian. It's really easy to present yourself. It's really easy for us to say that we're a church or that we're, we're you know, but what you say is not always reality. Reputation is not always reality. And, and it could have been that this church had a history of faith. They had a history of deeds that, that were empowered by the Spirit of God. They have a form of a church, but there's no life inside. This is a dead church. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have probably the greatest picture, I think, in the Bible, the greatest explanation of spiritual death and spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We all. All right, so quickly, Paul says there, everybody comes into this world spiritually dead. Okay, now what does that mean? That means you don't respond to God. You don't see His glory. You, you, you don't connect with Him. You don't know who He is, okay? Now, you may have heard stories about God, and you may, you may know facts about God, but, but, but you don't see who He is. You don't trust Him. You don't love Him. Your heart is not drawn to Him because there's something inside you that is dead. It's called original sin. We're born with that. We're born spiritually separated from God. But notice where Paul goes in Ephesians 2, 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, notice this, with Christ. With Christ, okay? When you repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, you're joined to Jesus. When you are joined to Jesus, his resurrection life flows into you and you're made alive. Okay, I remember when this happened to me. I mean, I remember... The previous to my conversion in May of 1990, being, being dead to spiritual things, not being impressed with God, having no hunger for God, no hunger for the things of God. And I remember as I was born again that night in my room and I came alive. I came alive to the Bible. I came alive to spiritual truth. I came alive to the people of God. I came alive to worship. I, I came alive on the inside. And Jesus says, there are some of you who claim to be alive, but you're dead. Second category, and here's where we're going to spend most of our time, people who need to wake up, okay? People who need to wake up, their spiritual slumber is contributing to a dying church, okay? So, so Jesus says to these folks in verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. You, you know, the, 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 the phrase wake up is used all through the Bible. Old, we're going to look at some Old Testament here in a minute. It, it's, it's used for being alert, being a watchman, sounding the alarm, being aware of what's going on, being ready, being ready. We're starting over for the fifth and final time with T-ball and coach pitch. Okay, you guys been there, huh? You been there? We're starting over again. I mean, it's exciting. Old Haven, she's, she's a great hitter and she's a great fielder. You, you know, the thing about that, that, age group is if you're out in center field right field left field sometimes even infield there's not a lot of action you know you know what i'm saying i mean it's there's not a lot happening you know and so every once in a while you'll look out there and there'll be a kid and mid over their face you know i mean they're just i mean literally like are they asleep or what you know or they're doing this number you know they're down here kind of in the ready position and pretty soon the ready position goes to what's that you know and Drawing around a little bit there, making humps of dirt. You know, I like to throw in the mitt in the air. Have you ever seen that one? You know, it's like, I ain't going to use this. You know, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, not alert, okay? Not ready. Not, 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 not aware of what's going on. Not paying attention to, to what's happening. All right? And, 
And Jesus says, some of you are not paying attention. Your church is dying. Your ministry is dying. You need to strengthen what remains. Notice he says that. Wake up and strengthen what remains, okay, and is about to die. He's not saying strengthen who remains. I think that's an important thing. He's saying what remains. I think the what there, and I think I'm going to prove this to you. I hope to prove this to you. I think what he's talking about is their testimony to their community, their gospel witness, their proclamation, their mission. I mean, churches have missions. Did you know that? That's really what we're all about. We have a mission to the world. And he's saying, wake up and strengthen the mission. Because why? Look at verse 2. Because he says, I have not found your works complete. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now, no, what's he talking about? He's saying, you have an incomplete works. You have an incomplete mission. Okay, it's like building half a house or cooking, you know, having your steak half cooked. You know, or having a song half sung. You know, what if Avery and Gracie and Betty would have stopped midway, you know, just, just stopped and just sat down, you know, not finished. I mean, you, what, what, what you started is not finished, okay? And here's what we know, church. Faith demands works, okay? If you, have, if you trust Jesus, that's going to result in a life that is visible with that. In James chapter 2, verse 22, James says, faith that works is dead. And he goes on to talk about Abraham in verse 22. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Okay, It's completed by his works. And so what Jesus says to this church is, man, what you have is dying, and, and, and your, 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 your works are not complete. You're not finishing the mission. Now, I really believe, now, he could be talking about lots of things, couldn't he? I mean, you know, when you, he didn't specifically name anything. So we could say, well, maybe he's talking about their prayer ministry. Well, surely he might be, you know. You, you got, your prayer ministry has died. You, you're not finishing. Your, your faith is not resulting in, in gospel-centered prayers. He could be talking about their children's ministry. You're not reaching out to the children anymore. He could be, talk, he could be talking about a lot of things, couldn't he? Their worship, their, their, their praise of Jesus. But, but let me make the case I think what he's talking about is specifically their proclamation of Jesus' name to their community. Now, why do I think that? Well, first of all, ultimately, that is all of our mission, okay? When we, when we talk about ministry to children, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? We are proclaiming the name of Jesus, right? Raising up our young ones to know the God of the universe that they might be disciples and make other disciples, right? When we do men's ministry, what are we hoping? We're hoping to raise up our men who will take responsibility for their spiritual lives and for their families and pastor their families and proclaim in the name of Christ in their families, in their workplace, in their communities. When we do women's ministry, when we worship, all of that really encompasses the mission of the church, right? I mean, doesn't it? And second of all, I see a significant word in this letter that I think Jesus is tipping us off to what he's talking about. It's, it's the word name, okay? So follow me here, okay? So chapter 3, verse 1, I know your works. You have the, my Bible says reputation. That's what we have up on the screen, uh, the ESV. The actual Greek word, onoma, name, okay? You have the name of being alive, but you're dead, okay? Now go down to verse 4. Verse 4 says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, okay? A few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. You know, if you read that sentence, you could take out, you still have a few names in Sardis, and, and, and the sentence makes perfect sense, okay? In other words, why does Jesus go ahead and define them another way using the word names? You have a few names in Sardis. 
Okay, keep reading in verse four. People who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they're worthy. Look at verse five. The one who conquers will be clothed us in white garments and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. Okay, it's a, it's a verse about security. But why does Jesus use the word name again? Why does he use that image? Keep reading, verse five. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Why, why in this six verses does he use the word name over and over again and it culminates, and this way we're going to finish the sermon here. We're not done yet. I, you got, I, I didn't want to give misleading information, okay? When we get there, we're going to finish, okay? We're going to finish with this. Why does he culminate it with, I will confess, the one who's faithful, I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know why? Because that's a common thing that Jesus has said in all the gospels. Let, let, me, let me give you an example of that. Matthew chapter 10. But it's always, it's always qualified with this statement. Ready? Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men. What is that? Proclaiming Jesus' name, right? Before your family, before your community, before your children, before your friends. Okay? Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. That's just what Jesus talked about in Sardis. He said, I'm a, those of you who are faithful, faithful in what? Faithful in acknowledging my name before men. I will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. So reason number one, I think because the mission of the gospel is proclaiming Jesus' name. Reason number two is because of the use of this word name all throughout there finishing with this thing that Jesus says over and over again. If you confess me, I'll confess you. Okay. Reason number three, there's no persecution in this church. Isn't it interesting? Pergamum, remember them? Chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. Okay, he's telling them, you guys are holding fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. 30, 40 miles from Sardis is Pergamum, and there are people dying because they're confessing the name of Jesus. How about the church before that? Smyrna, 30, 40 miles away again. How about them? Well, remember what's happening to them? Don't fear what you're about to suffer. The devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You'll have tribulation. Be faithful to death. Some of them are going to die. Sardis, nobody's dying. Why? Well, it could be just the people in Sardis are real nice. Or it could be that this church was not proclaiming the name of Jesus. So I think what Jesus is talking about here I think a dead church, a dying church, is a church that loses its mission. A church full of people who are no longer proclaiming the greatness of Jesus to their community. And to those folks, Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. He says, watch. Okay? Now, now, do you, when I say watch, that should trigger something in your mind. If you're familiar with the whole Bible, you know this, 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 this watchman thing, right? Uh, that's in the Old Testament, all over. Cities back then had walls. All cities had walls, okay? They don't today, right? But, but they did back then. And on those walls, you had watchmen. You had guys that it was their job to look out for danger, to look out for, for threats, to look out for the enemy, okay? And they would proclaim that. They would proclaim the news to the town. That was their job. Watch, proclaim, watch, proclaim, okay? And, and Jesus says, wake up. Now, I think Sardis would have known exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because let me give you 
the one kind of interesting fact about the city of Sardis that everybody knows. You look up Sardis. Just go Google it. Uh, not now, but later, okay? Google it. And you know what you're going to read about? You're going to read about the fact that this city was built on a hill 1,500 feet above the valley. You know, the interesting thing about the hill, it had a saddle in which there was one small piece of land that led into this, this hilltop where the city was, okay? On the other three sides was a cliff, a cliff, and then they built the walls of the city, all right? So you got a city where there's one way in, and the other three sides are cliff and wall. That's a, that's a good city. You want to live there, don't you, right? I mean, that's a protected city. In a, in a time where, where people were overtaking cities all the time, you wanted to live in Sardis because, man, it was a fortress. But in its existence, they were about seven to 900 years apart. Two times it was conquered. Both times the same way. You know how? They're all locked up in the city. Hey, you can't touch us. Guess where they're guarding? They're guarding that one road in, right? They're not even guarding the back walls. Why? Because there's a cliff there. There's a wall. The Persians did it first, one at a time. They climbed up that cliff in the middle of the night, up the wall. They got enough men up there on the wall where they overtook the city. Happened twice, okay? I believe when Jesus says, wake up, I believe these guys are realizing he's talking about, you're not guarding your city. You're not guarding your, you're not being a faithful watchman. You're not, you're not proclaiming to the world. Hey, judgment's coming. Hey, you, you, you need to know. You, here's what Jesus has done. Here's how to be saved. If we go back into our Old Testament, there's an interesting passage. Isaiah 56. I want you guys to know that I, today, I am going to give my wife the best Mother's Day she's ever had, okay? And I'm going to do the best thing I've probably ever done for my son. They are going to be so thrilled today because I am going to speak well of our dog Snickers, okay? <laughs> this is the only time it's going to happen, you know, but, I mean, it's just a gift. It's a gift. Uh, we don't like each other. It's well known. Uh, but I'm going to speak well of Snickers today, okay? And, and here's where it is, okay? So Isaiah 56, 10. Here's what, here's what Isaiah accuses the Israelite leaders of being, okay? So the first image, verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. Okay, so, so he accuses the Israelite leaders of having blind watchmen. Now, I don't know a lot of military strategy, but I do know the guy you put on the wall to watch for the enemy, and when he sees him, he's going to proclaim it to the city. It's not good if that guy's blind, right? I mean, he, he can't do a good job. Right? I mean, he may have a great heart, but he's not the guy for that job. Okay? Because he doesn't see when the danger's coming. So the first image there is of a blind watchman. The second image, very interesting. Listen to this. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. Okay? Now, now, one of the primary purposes of a dog is a watchman. I mean, that's, that's what they do, especially certain breeds of dog, and we happen to have one. And what Snickers does, and I'll just tell you this, and what Snickers does incredibly well is she is a watchman, okay? If you come to our house, you are going to be greeted warmly by one of our children and by a yapping that is almost deafening, all right? I, I mean, and, and there's no stopping it because Snickers is, she... She is faithful. I mean, she will not let the family be unprotected. She's going to tell the family, there's danger. There's a warning, warning, warning. You can't 
you can't make her stop. I, I know. I've tried, okay? I hate, I'm not proud of this, but I thought at the beginning I could train it out of her, you know? I mean, I, I'm going to train this dog. You guys won't train your dog. I'm going to train the dog. I'm going to train it not to buy. I mean, you can grab Snickers around her throat, okay? And as someone's coming in, and every time she barks, you can tighten that grip. You're going to turn me into Peter, aren't you? you listen, <laughs> she'll die. I mean, she, she'll die before she'll stop barking. I mean, I, I, really. I mean, you'll choke her out. She won't stop. She's faithful in that. And, and, and that's the picture of what a dog ought to be here. But, but, but he's saying they're silent dogs. They can't bark. They're worthless. Okay? And, and he's talking about the watchmen of Israel who don't protect their, their, the people of God. And bringing over to Sardis, he's talking about a church that doesn't proclaim the gospel. Why? Notice, what are the dogs doing? Dreaming, lying down. Loving to slumber. What does Jesus say about the church of Sardis? Wake up. Need more evidence? Yes, pastor. Okay. Matthew, Mark. No, let's look at Mark. Uh, this, this occurs in Matthew 2, but let's look at the one in Mark. Mark 13. Mark 13, 33 through 37. Listen to what Jesus says here. Okay, so follow it. I'll begin reading in verse 32. But concerning the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. Verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. Do you see it? Same image. Keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. Okay, now what, what is Jesus talking about there? He's left, okay? Who's he put in charge? You. You, church. He's left his work to you. He came. Remember? He came, and in his public ministry, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Proclaim to everybody. The kingdom is here. Jesus, the king, reigns, and you can be in his kingdom. That's the work. He leaves a servant in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake two times. Stay awake. Verse 35, three times. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And when I say to you all, I say to all of you, stay awake four times. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. What's Jesus say? Verse 3. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. I'll come like a thief. I'll come against you. When we were in uh, the Gospel Coalition Conference, I, I saw a book on the table and interested me right away. And I, I was there with a buddy, and, and he's like, oh, that's a great book. I've read it. It's called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Okay? And what Tom Rainer did is he looked at, at 14 churches that died, and he looked at the common characteristics of those 14 churches before their death, before they closed, before it was over. Okay? I didn't pick up the book at the conference because I thought, well, my, my church is not dead. You know, I mean, I don't need that book, you know. Then I read this message to Sardis, and I call Brother Gary. He's at, doing hospital visits in Oklahoma City. I said, give me that book, you know, because I want to see what that guy says. Well, I, I, let me give you a synopsis of the book, okay? Let me give you four of the reasons churches die, okay? Number one, the past is the hero, okay? So in other words, they're living on life of the past. What did, what did Jesus say to, church, to the church of Sardis? He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You once were alive. You once had a gospel ministry. You once were disciple makers. You once proclaimed the name of Jesus. 
You once ministered to children. You once did that. And now you're dead. And the common characteristic of churches that die is they're looking back and not forward. Number two, the budget moved inwardly. I included that one because what did Jesus say? He said, you're going to know where your heart is by what? Where your treasure is, right? And the common characteristic of churches who died was the money went from going out to going in. Number three, the great commission becomes the great omission. At some point in every one of these churches' lives, they stopped proclaiming the gospel of their community. They begin to have, they still had services. They, they, they still got together. They still did communion. They still, they still did those things. But there was no mission. There, there was no, man, it's on us to tell people about the greatest thing in the world. And number four, the church had no clear purpose. So what's Jesus say? First of all, verse 3, remember. He said that to us several times, hadn't he? He said it in Ephesus, remember. Okay, remember what you received. Remember what you've heard. What have you received, church? You've received the Spirit of God. What have you received, church? You've received the gospel mission to the world. That's, you've received that. Jesus has given that to us, okay? Remember what you received. Remember what you've heard. And then keep it and repent. And be the church God's called you to be. We're out of time, and so what, what I want to do is I'm going to skip to the end, okay? Uh, I wish we had time to... Okay, let, let me summarize. So he says there's a few of you in Sardis who, who have not sold their garments. So there's a few of you. Okay, now notice, notice what the reward is, okay? So first of all, he talks about you're going to walk with me in white. Okay, now I love that. First of all, you're going to walk with me. You know what my favorite thing is there? It's not in white, it's with me. Jesus says you're going to walk with me in white. He says, I'll never blot your name out of the book of life. There's security there. God's going to keep us, okay? But then notice the final thing he says. We're going to finish with this. He says in verse 5, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What will that be like for Jesus to confess your name? Just, I mean, I can't picture it, okay? But just try. What, what does that look like to be standing in the court of heaven before the Ancient of Days, the creator of the universe, surrounded by the myriad of angels? What, what would it be like for Jesus to confess your name? Some of you are big NFL fans, and man, you, 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 you're sitting there watching on draft day, right? Draft day, when, when they all line up, and all right, the Cowboys' first draft choice is, and they read the name, you're, you're hanging on that. Or maybe you're an, an Oscar fan, I'm sorry, but maybe you are, you know? And man, you, you get all dressed up, and you got your popcorn, and you know, best actor goes to the envelope, please, and there's the name. Or maybe you're a graduation fan. You just love to go to graduations. You know, you're going to go to Woodward's, Northwestern's. You're going to be there, and you want to listen for the name. That, that They're going to say the name of your friend, your son, your daughter, your grandson. All right, well, what's it going to be like for Jesus to confess you? This one is mine. Thank you. Is, that, is that awesome? That's pretty awesome. I will confess his name before my father. And before his angels. What a wonder. What a wonder that Jesus even knows our name. Not, not that he, he knows everything I know. But you know what I'm saying? I mean that he would, he would pay attention to us. That, 
that, that he would pursue us, that he would draw us to himself, that he would leave heaven and put on human flesh and be immersed in poverty and pain and problems, that he would take upon himself our filth and our sins to redeem us and make a way for us to be with him, and then that he would not be ashamed of us, but that he would confess our name before the Father and before his angels. But again, as your pastor, I, I think we got to end with this. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father in heaven. You got a mission, church. And I know it's overwhelming. I know some of you are like, man, I'm just trying to figure out Christianity. I'm just trying to figure out what it means to walk in my faith. I don't, how, how do you make a disciple? How do, you, how do you live that out? Hey, let me tell you, we want to help you. I mean, we do. We want to help you. We want to meet with you. We want to teach you how to, how to study the Bible. We want to teach you how to, how to proclaim Christ, how to exalt Jesus. One of the big themes in Man Up this year is going to be making disciples, men making disciples, men making disciples of their family, men speaking truth into their lives of their children and their wives and their friends and their co-workers. And church, this is our mission. We are alive when we do it, and we are dead when we don't. Let's pray. God, make us alive. God, keep us alive. God, keep our mission strong. God, I pray that we would strengthen what remains, that our works would be complete. I pray, Father, that we would be good at, at confessing your name to our community. And God, by the power of your spirit, we pray that great things would happen. Father, use us today. We ask it in Jesus' name.